Hello and welcome to this week's French Football Weekly podcast, uh, the podcast that comes to you exclusively two days after France have played. Hey, we don't make the rules, okay? You know, we've, we've got schedules to keep and stuff, so just bear with us. My name is Chris, I am your host for this evening's show, and of course we will be looking back at France's last game against Hungary and looking ahead to their final group game against Portugal, which is tomorrow at time of recording. So what do I need to help me plough my way through these games? Of course, I need guests. Phil, Jez, good evening. Good evening. Hey. First thing I'm going to uh, share with our listeners is, uh, can you hear this? No, you can't, because I've got a silent mouse. No more irritating clicking, boys and girls. What a wonderful time to be alive. Let's talk football, shall we? <laughs> so, uh, Saturday afternoon, we left this podcast last week, and I think we all kind of said that uh, we, uh, we weren't, you know, we weren't doing the, oh, look at the French being arrogant thing, but we kind of thought that uh, a win against Hungary was certainly achievable and probably something that we... We kind of all hoped would happen and dare I say the the E word for expect. But I think we all kind of agreed that that France should have enough to beat Hungary. Didn't turn out that way. It ended in a 1-1 draw. Uh, Phil, I'll I'll start with you this week. Uh, Kind of I saw you tweeting along uh, much like I was, much like Jazz was. I think the general feeling is not the end of the world, but you can't help but feel a little bit deflated, can you? Yeah. No, I I think so. And I think the fact that the key change made by, inverted commas, made by Deschamps going into this was to replace the left back. Mm. And that was it. And it was just like, we saw in the first match that possibly more pace would have been useful. Possibly Rabio is not doing a great job. And this is the team that's lowest ranked in the group, so there's even less need to have three in midfield. It it felt a bit conservative again from the get-go, which I think we're all getting used to now, however much it irks us. Uh, and then France were really, really putting it together. There was double chance, double save, Mbappe header just wide, Benzema goes wide, and then you're thinking, oh, this is, it's fine, we're all going to be fine, and then Fiola scored just before half-time. And that was a problematic goal in that pretty much the entire back line appeared to lose him uh, when he went on his run and it went inside, he got into the near post. So it was a situation where if you got to half time, France didn't take their chances. And then Deschamps was interviewed at half time and said, well, we need to, you know, make changes, change things up, be more positive in the second half and then made no changes. And I think this is the thing that has a lot of France fans banging their heads on desks, tables, bookcases, whatever piece of furniture is closest, because it was very frustrating. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I saw it slightly differently in that I felt like it was sort of on another day, France could have been three, four, five up at half time. 
um, but it was against Germany. (laughs) Yeah, to to a degree. But I felt like I felt like this game, there was an element. I thought the the first five to 10 minutes, Hungary had the crowd behind them. I think people people really have to remember that basically Hungary have had two home games and I'm not, you know, not having a go at them. They they came, they put 10 men behind the ball, they counterattacked and they scored a goal and hoped for the best. You know, it's not not kind of being harsh, but when you're a, a quote unquote smaller nation, that's kind of what you have to do, especially when you play in the world champions. But it did sort of feel like France really, uh, the chances missed was my slight concern. And that's where I'll, I'll slide into you, Jez, uh, forgive the turn of phrase. Um, what was your kind of view, particularly on, on those missed chances? Because the, the Griezmann one was offside, although, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't still don't understand quite why he put the ball where he put it. It was like a yawning gap and he sort of hit it straight at, at Gulashi, who it has to be said was good on the day. The Mbappe one, particularly the header, I thought was a, a half chance, but he sort of had a good first half and, and faded second. It's the Benzema one that, that stands out a little bit and it's kind of the one that's got a lot of the attention. Does sort of longer he goes without a goal making headlines does, does that impact France in the long run do you think and and were you concerned about that level of finishing particularly in that that moment but overall that that front three is there any concerns for you in that there's there's definite concerns I mean taking the match overall I think first of all Dean was in there because Hernandez is carrying a bit of an injury so I think it made sense to to sort of manage him a little bit um as a general thing I mean I don't. I think it wasn't just missed chances. I don't think France played well at all. And you know, Griezmann got a little bit of stick because he blamed the heat a little bit, and he blamed the crowd a little bit, and he blamed the the dry pitch a little bit. I I do think that there's an accumulation of factors, and and they can be added to the list. Also, you know, Pava being sent flying the first minute. I'm not, it's not really excuses. I think France should be doing better than that. Um, and, you know, maybe they just had, we'll wait and see. Maybe they just had an off day. I'm trying to cling to the fact that they were pretty unimpressive in the group stages in 2016 and 2018 as well. And it's not necessarily a bad thing for any team. I don't think there's that many teams that have won tournaments that have been absolutely scintillating in the group stages, full stop. But certainly, I think this France team occasionally maybe can do with having to think, you know, have the sort of confidence kind of uh, pricked a little bit. So it's not it's not a terrible thing, but there are things that are slightly worrying. And one is the front three. I think I don't I don't have a problem with with Deschamps lining up the team in the same way. I thought Rabio was fantastic in the Germany match. I think it would have been extremely harsh to drop him. Um, I think Hungary were always going to go pretty hard and strong and, and, and try to bully France. So I think three-man midfield in that context made sense as well. It just happened that too many players had off days. And for the front three, I mean, Griezmann is the only one that I'm not going to say is absolved of blame, but I think he can't be as influential as he usually is if he's kind of starting on a wing. And... Um, Deschamps did change things. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to 
for him to give the same team a little bit of time in the second half to see if they can change things themselves. But having not changed things, he did change things up, not, not only in terms of personnel, but also in terms of formation. Yeah. And it made a huge difference. He brought Griezmann into the middle and Griezmann happened to be in the middle when he scored the equaliser. So I think Deschamps is vindicated a little bit in that way. My issue is very much the other two in different ways. I think Mbappe, you can tell that he is sort of, he is on good form. I know he hasn't scored. And my concern is that everyone says he's absolutely obsessed with his statistics. And so, you know, even though he scored a fantastic goal against Germany, as long as it's not in the record books, he's going to be getting frustrated. And certainly for, let's say, the, the, the middle third of the match, I thought he was spectacularly selfish. It was very sort of, Neymar like people have given me stick on Twitter for why are you even bringing Neymar into a France conversation is because I think that's where he's learning it from it's exactly what Neymar does when things aren't going his way instead of bringing the rest of the team more into his play he he tries to do more and more by himself and I think that's what Neymar's been doing uh, what Mbappe's been doing a little bit against Germany but very much against Hungary and you know it's no I don't think it's a coincidence that at the end of the match, when he became a little bit less selfish again, France became a little bit more uh, dangerous again. And obviously the goal came from Mbappe uh, holding the ball up and waiting to, to, be give, to, to get support and then, and then putting the cross in. Um, so my concern with Mbappe isn't exactly it's his form, it's, it's the way he's playing. Um, and not just on the pitch. We've had the temper tantrum with Giroud, which was completely unnecessary. We've had him questioning the hierarchy of penalty takers in a press conference, which was completely unnecessary. And now the latest thing, he took that free kick at some mm. point in the match. I have no issues with him taking a free kick. You know, he said to Griezmann, or Griezmann said in the press conference yesterday, Mbappe said, I'm feeling this one, so I was happy to leave it to him. You know, I know for every one time that someone says, oh, I'm feeling this one and they let him take it and they and he scores, like, you know, Dom Egg in the semi-final in 84, a completely freaky thing that a fullback says, I'm up for this and he scores. There's probably nine other cases where someone said, I'm up for it and they sky it into Rosette, fine. <laughs> I don't mind that happening once, but apparently today they're saying that the official hierarchy of free kick takers has changed and that Mbappe is now taking. Yes, France don't have a great recent record in terms of scoring directly from free kicks, but why give it to someone who apparently has never scored a free kick in his career? I do worry about Mbappe calling a little bit too many shots and becoming a little bit too much of a big ego in it, affecting the rest of the team. As long as he's coming up with a couple of goals to match or whatever, fine, you can do what you want. But he's not doing that at the moment. He is looking more likely than anyone else, so I'll tolerate it for now. But I worry, you know, with all the fuss about will Benzema's return create squad tension? To me, there's only one person looking likely to create squad tension at the moment, and that's Mbappe. So I think that's one thing to be looked at. On the Benzema one, I think it is a form thing or a confidence thing. And it's bizarre because, you know, obviously his record for Champions Leagues or three, however many, it's three or four Champions League, fourth highest scorer in Champions League history, et cetera, et cetera. We know he's a fantastic player and I do think it will come good. And he does seem to be... Um, you know, playing for the team. But I just, I do feel like he desperately needs that goal. 
And it feels like that certainly that miss was the miss of someone who's playing weirdly with with no confidence. You know, you, you could see. I don't know. He, I'm trying to think of someone who hasn't scored for ages. Someone like, um, you know, the the Benzema who hadn't scored for 1,200 minutes. You could see him snatching at that miss the way he did. Um, by the way, Mbappe's header, I don't think it was a half chance. I thought it was a horrific miss. There were two in close succession. The second one was a half chance that came to him quickly. The first one I thought was just a terrible miss for a, you know for such a big the, ego. The one that Hiro set up from later on when there had been another change as well was... Yeah, yeah, I'll come to that. But I think at least he got that one on target. Um, he made the keeper made a set, make a save, but the header was just like limply headed wide. Um, but yeah, Benzema, the harsh. other thing with Benzema, and I don't think it's selfishness to the, it's not selfishness like Mbappe, but I think his thing when things aren't going as well is that he drops deeper and deeper to get the ball, which is all very well. But then when someone gets the ball and is looking for you, for the centre forward in the middle of the pitch, then he's not there because he's standing right next to you or standing on your feet or whatever. So I think there needs to be that kind of better understanding. And Andy Brassel wrote an interesting thing about it, saying if if Deschamps was going to bring Benzema back, then he should have given more than a couple of matches for the three of them to get used to working together. I don't entirely disagree with that, but they've now had the equivalent of, of three full matches plus training they're supposed to be three of the best defensive players in the world. You know, I don't think peaceful people's patience should be um, kind of Limitless. everlasting. I think they need to have worked it out by now. Um, yeah. I think we're then, yeah, the other thing is that Giroud came on and despite what Lekip said, which I thought was disgusting, saying, yeah, he was equally quiet as Benzema. He had 14 minutes on the pitch. He didn't receive any service, but he still set up a goal-scoring chance. Come on. I mean, in a way, it was probably a good thing for France and for Deschamps and for Benzema that Giroud didn't score, because if he had, then that would have really made it difficult to, to kind of decide who to start against Portugal. More questions. Um, but I think, it um, just did one... show what, what exactly what it is that he brings to France and what Benzema... Yes, Benzema now has shown that he can be a central centre forward, but that tendency to drop drop back, yes, it means that he's probably a better all-round footballer than Giroud. But as we've said hundreds and hundreds of times before, there is a very important role for a player like Giroud. And when you've got Griezmann and Mbappe around you, mm -hmm. that kind of player is invaluable. Yeah, and I think the fact that Griezmann has been dropping back so it's like, well, if he's doing it back into a, a mid four, then Benzema maybe doesn't. And I think uh, something interesting I saw from our good friend Bobetto uh, on the day was he said, put Benzema in a France shirt and he develops a remarkable ability to be on his heels every time the ball comes near him. This is like watching Euro 2008 again. And that might be a little bit harsh, but I do think that the balance of the team, you know, the whole four vibes two thing, it's four vibes one. Mbappe is the one who's still going forward more. And then you've got five people kind of existing in the same space, which is slightly problematic. I think 
Uh, one thing I'd like to mention is uh, that the Hungarian goalkeeper Gulashi was good throughout. He had a couple of a couple of things to do and did them well. And uh, also, very unfortunate that Dembele, who was brought on uh, ten minutes into the second half for Rabiot to try to speed things up and widen things out a bit limped off in the 86th minute to be replaced by Thomas Lamar. He's and it looks out. like Dembele's out for... He's out of the Euros, isn't he? He's been yeah. sent home. Yeah. Another, another injury. He hit the post as soon as he came on. And after that, oh. I thought he was so diabolical. I'm not... Oh, first sure. touch yeah. is just like... that. You can see... He's one of those players. He's... I mean, this is going to sound harsh, but I don't care. It's the French Theo Walcott. I mean... He's got all the pace, but just zero brains to me. And it, I just, he doesn't seem to, I he think, doesn't, I think he doesn't Jason seem to control the ball. People uh, said that, you know, he comes on, he makes a brilliant chance. He is then invisible and limps off injured. It's yeah. Pretty much his career in a microcosm. And that is such Wait. a sad thing. Yeah, but he, there, the thing but... is, he wasn't invisible. He got the ball a lot. And actually, I mean, I fully expected Rich, when I sent an email sort of slagging him off for a tweet, <laughs> I fully expect, expected Rich to defend him. And he kind of did. And he said, you know, he sort of said, he, you know, he sent the gif of the, the guy sort of tapping his forehead and saying, you know, if I've got no idea what I'm going to do next, the opposition won't either. And I thought, I kind of thought it was funny. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, that is what Dembele gives you. Because if you're struggling, as France always do, to break down a very organised, very deep defence, someone who hasn't got a clue what he's doing himself is going to flummox maybe the defence as well. The problem is it goes, but you know, it can go either way. It could sort of make him accidentally do something brilliant that unlocks that defence, or as it did the other, you know, which is what he almost did with that shot that hit the post. Or it makes him do what he did for the rest of the time he was on the pitch, which was give the ball all away or run straight into the first defender and, and keep losing the ball and ruining all the momentum that France are gradually building up. Mm. It's the unpredictability, isn't it? It's like it's all very well having that, but you've got to have some sort of end product. I, th I, I think, I think personally, it's safe to say had Kingsley Coman been in the squad, he wasn't because he had the is it his second child? I think it was. Um, he wasn't available on the day. I think he probably would have come on over Dembele had that been the case. And Thomas Lamar, I, I just I could never work him out because he's another player I, I think has got so much talent, but just picked the wrong move. At the time, I know he's not been too, he's actually been, not been been too bad for Atletico Madrid this year, but I just felt that um, not necessarily just Arsenal, but when he left Monaco, he was linked with with us with ourselves, and I think he was linked with a couple of other teams. I just think he probably could have gone to a club that would have nurtured his talent a bit more. The whereas Simeone is obviously all about the hard work and putting the shift in. I feel like he's a player you just need to wind up and let him go. I thought he played very slowly, like what yeah, France did. needed was one touch. Yeah, and give and go more. more. Yeah, and I agree again, with that. that's what I'd, I'd hope. I yeah. think the one thing, I don't know about personnel changes, I think there might be a couple, but I think the main thing that um, Deschamps needs to do is, is definitely bring Griezmann into the centre. I think that's absolutely crucial. 
yeah, the crying out for him, aren't they? His, his work rate. I mean, whatever you think of the guy, you know, some people don't like him because he actually enjoys playing football. Heaven forbid. Um, but whatever you think of the guy, his work rate is absolutely phenomenal. Like, he puts a shift in no matter what. And I thought he took the goal very well in a crowded penalty area and, and mm. fair play to him. Um, but yeah, I, the only other sort of thing I wanted to, to mention as a concern, I really be concerned about, about Benjamin Pavard. I mean, yeah, yes. There was, thank you, thank you. Yeah, going to be my next talking point. Well, this that just to introduce it or just to set it up for you. So that there was discussion about the head injury from the first game, and you know, should he have been playing? That that the French medical staff said that he was not, he was not unconscious. Which I'll be honest, I but laughed at because that doesn't was. Yeah, and more to the point, you don't have to be unconscious to still have have a concussion. You can have a concussion without going out cold. You know, just like you can fall over and hurt your knee without it meaning your leg will fall off. Like there's still a there's still an injury there. Um, I just I just questioned slightly the the decision to not so much start him, but not but take him off. I mean, he was run ragged the whole game. That was my concern. It was it wasn't that that he you know if you think he's fit, start him. But there's a discussion to be had there. I feel. Yeah, I think that was my point when I said the one change was left back, which obviously Hernandez is carrying a knock, so they brought Dean in. But if you were going to change one fullback for this game, then you would have thought it had to be Fabra. I mean, the lack of specialist right backs in the in the squad. I know Kanda can play there, but still, and but yes. Worse, and the the but the whole thing where Fiola just went past him and then Varane and, and Kimpabe couldn't get across to, to stop him. It did look like I saw something, this sounds horrible, somebody saying Pavar might not have been concussed last time, but he looks off way off the pace this time. It did seem like that was that was a problem. And that was something that I was I was concerned about and kind of didn't understand because this it's a second game it's a game against the lowest ranked team this is the one where you might do something a bit different to save your starters for what you know will be the big game and it just felt like you know how were we how, how are they going to go into this now? And I think it will be with exactly the same team, which concerns me slightly. I think yeah. France's, all of France's success in recent tournaments, including Deschamps as a player and as a manager, have always been built on France winning their first two matches and then resting players in the third match. Mm. So I understand him playing the full team for this match. I don't really have any issues with that. I think, especially with the front three needing to sort of play into form, um, the Pava one, if he was concussed, I, th I don't think he should have played. And he took a very big knock at the start. And Deschamps said no and one's got booked to for going through somebody, which you would think. Well, he, he got booked for being hard. fouled. That's that's. What? Let's yeah, make no bones about it. it. That very, decision very is ridiculous. Ah, oh, that was that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. He should have he been booked for the first challenge, if I'm being honest. But to then, it was almost like the referee who I think was the, was it uh, the English chat, wasn't it? Um, 
I think he sort of thought, oh, I should have booked him the first time, remembered that, and then just booked him for the second time. But he was blatantly fouled. It was, it was ridiculous. Sorry, I just had to get that in. But yeah. Um, the other, I, I suppose the other point I wanted to make about the fullbacks is if, if Deschamps doesn't... Yes, by the way, I thought he had a decent second half. He, he got also, better, yeah. Think, yeah, he did. I think he ran more than any other France player, mm. which I know you don't get any points for running, but, you know... Mm. He which depends it. if you're Bielsa. Yeah. <laughs> I have to throw that one in. Yeah, I, I do agree he got better. I, my sort of... Concern is the wrong word, you know, we, we're probably overanalyzing it a bit, but if he, if Deschamps doesn't necessarily believe Leo Dubois was good enough, like, if there's any doubt over Pavard... Just play, you know. If you believe, if you truly believe in Dubois, which I, I don't personally believe they do, you would just play him, wouldn't you? I mean, that that would be that would be the, the obvious thing. If there's any doubt, just bring someone in. If he doesn't believe in in Leo Dubois, I guess the question mark would, would maybe be why did you put him in the squad in the first place? You know, is that? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. There wasn't any doubt over Pavar. Mm, I guess so. might be the fault of the medics. I don't know, but. Mm. Would make this sense, is, wouldn't it? I mean, this is the guy that I know. I think it was Samuel. There's quite a few people who were really harsh on him and said, you know, generally he's he's not bad without ever being particularly good, which I think well, is pretty mean. Samuel but, has a habit of being harsh on many people. So true. But, I don't know. I don't know if that is harsh. You know, and I don't get it wrong. I I really like him, but. Everybody sort of just assumes because he scored a wonder goal in the last World Cup, and let's not ever forget that goal. My goodness, but he hasn't. He hasn't been. He, he's. I think he is a very solid seven out of ten. My, my sort of big concern with him is is he's not. I don't think he's a fullback. I mean, Teo Hernandez has, has got the 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 body type and the athleticism to get up and down and offer that sort of. Even though he's tall, he offers that ability to to get up and down the wing. Um, I, I'm not so sure, Pavard, that's his time. I, I, if, if I was managing his club, not France, I should stress, but if I was his manager, I'd probably prefer him as a centre-back. I think he's more built for that. He's more mobile for that. To be fair, so I think he that's quite a decent club as a full-back, and they seem happy enough. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and who's his backup? Bunasar, isn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I, I just think he's an ideal built um, full-back who can play as a centre-back in a three. Do you know what I mean? Whereas as an actual out-and-out fullback, it's just personal preference. I just like quick, nippy fullbacks and somebody who's going to overlap, and I don't think that's Pavar's strength. But, you know, it, it, again, we're, we're splitting hairs over, you know, over players. I mean, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, I, I think we all probably agree we'd rather have him there than, than uh, uh, oh, I forgot, it's Sidibe at right-back, for example. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take our, our wins where we can get them. I do just want to kind of have a look at the other game and, and look ahead to the next game. Portugal um, massively frauded it up against Germany. Um, <laughs> is there something is there something in that game that France need to take note of? And that is the fact that basically Portugal cannot defend for their lives at all under any circumstance. You put them under pressure and they buckle. And the fact that they are still heavily reliant upon, upon a, uh, a soft drink hating uh, rather muscular, outrageously talented thirty-six-year-old who, Stop you know, hating, but this is but this is KFC. Yeah, good point. Well, this I is, just this I feel is, like France I, can take them. 
I, 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 I hear you very much. And this is why I am nervous that Deschamps will start with the same team again when if you did have a front three that involved two fast runners with Griezmann behind them in a proper 4-4-2 diamond, that that could make so much difference. Coleman's back from Mrs. Coleman giving birth. You know, uh, there are options. Because I, I mentioned him last time, my boss is German. Um, and after he watched that match, I just got a series of Slack messages messages that said, luck one, luck two, skill one, skill two. And those were the four German goals. And I think um, Germany obviously really uh, put, their, put their feet down on that. And I'd say saying the first two goals were own goals is a little bit harsh because I mean, really the first ones They happens. were forced, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They were forced, forced errors, yeah. as you'd say in, in yeah. tennis. And uh, so that, I think that did open up a, a, a vision of Portugal have got really, really great attacking midfielders and some shithousing defenders. They got that for God's sake. <laughs> but you could see where they could be got at. And I'm just, like I say, nervous that France will set up in a way that will not maximize so, their chances you, against that. Who are you playing where? Well, I'm thinking um, I'm going 4 4 2 with the diamond. So Griezmann is basically in the kind of 10 role. Um, but Mbappe with somebody quicker on the right. And if necessary, changing it up to bring Olive on. I'm not sure. I thought Giroud would be perfect to start against Hungary. I'm not sure he'd be perfect to start against. Portugal, if that so means. You, so you'd leave Benzema out of that, that particular game then? Or you would, would you have him up front with Mbappe and then Griezmann in the 10 um, and then a variation yes. of the three behind? Makes 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 Twitter account private. Yes, I would. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's all about opinions, isn't it? I yeah. uh, I personally would, would probably stick with the front three. I would shuffle the midfield. I think I would be tempted... Like Jez said, I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Jez, on this one as well. But like you said, I think Rabiot was brilliant in the opening game, less so in the second game. And I feel with that it Portugal might be midfield... more so in this game. I, I think Tolisso is context. better suited. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I think Tolisso's energy is better, is better served in this yeah. game with Portugal because the one thing Portugal do have is runners in midfield whether it's the, the starting players or indeed the subs um, coming on. I think Tolisso gives you, I, I personally would be tempted to even go with a, a 4-2-3-1 with Tolisso and Kante holding. And then you you put sort of Griezmann, Pogba and a another behind an Mbappe if you're going to leave out a Benzema. Or you move Mbappe to a wide forward role, i.e. the sort of PSG model. And then you have Benzema as a target man. The one thing I can't really can't quite get my head around with with Karim Benzema at the moment is he's basically spent the entire season with Real Madrid, Real Madrid on his back and yet he's come into what's arguably a far better side 
and 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 he's sort of struggling a little bit to uh blend i suppose and i suppose like like you suggest it's only natural it you know it's not going to happen overnight but i guess i just sort of thought he would get more opportunities playing with better players than he's played with real madrid all season what would you what would be your thoughts ahead of the portugal game what would you if anything what would you change and and what's the approach because let's not forget if france draw this game there's so many permutations of course always but if they draw this game i believe they're through regardless um Mm -hmm. But if they win this game and uh, Germany beat Hungary, Portugal end up coming through third, which changes the draw in the second stage. I think I'm right in saying if Hungary beat Germany and France beat Portugal, Portugal could be gone. So this isn't a game to take Hungary lightly, Hungary won't beat Germany. I think that's fairly safe. Oh, well, like Hungary wouldn't draw against France. I, I don't know. I don't think Germany were... I thought Germany took advantage of a really poor... Uh, Portugal side and when I say poor I don't just mean the players I mean the way they managed that game at 1-0 up the way they managed the game was was just so bad Um, I'm not sure Hungary can manage a game any other way and I think Germany have seen away from home and we might come on to the context later Um, but the problem is if France and Portugal draw but Germany win France will come Second, I know all these. I oh God, I so know, many permutations. I, I mentioned the word permutations. Mm. Well, yeah, well, yeah, it's uh, it's still interesting. Yeah, it's definitely up in the air. Jess, what, what's your thoughts? I set you up and then I kind of answered the question for you. So, <laughs> what would you do and, and what's your sort of take on the Portugal game? In terms, of, in terms of permutations, yeah, I think France should want at least a draw. Um, for a kind of statement, a win would be nice. I think what, one good thing about their situation or the whole group situation is that in terms of the third place things, at least they can sort of, they've got a good idea. By the time they play, they'll have a reasonable idea of, of what they all need to do in terms of whether they'll get one of those third places, um, which which maybe helps a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I really hope it doesn't come to that, and that France just get either the one or the three points to to ensure that that they qualify. I haven't even looked at who they'd be playing next. Um, oh, don't bother! It's complete chaos. Yeah, I mean, I just, I am quite nervous to be honest, and I just want them to get through before I even start looking at that. Um, yeah, Portugal weren't great against Germany, but Germany weren't that great against France. And then they scored four goals against the reigning champions in the next match. So I'm not sure France should be thinking well, that you know this is any kind of gimme just because because of what's just happened. Especially mm-hmm. because <coughs> Portugal can be very good at just being very organised and sitting very deep and and, and, and pissing France off, frankly. And that's what France are poorest at breaking down. So and. You know, we saw that, well, I think the last three times they've played each other, France have only scored one goal, and that was from N'Golo Conte, so um, relatively freakish anyway. Um, so in terms of how to set up, I guess Portugal have got a little bit more to lose than, than France. Um, but I would either play the diamond. Like I said, for me, the most important thing is put Griezmann in the middle. So either keep more or less the same formation and play um, yeah, with, with the diamond and possibly bring Tolisso in instead of Rabiot. 
or four two three one, in which case presumably um, Pogba and Conte as the two, and then it's just a question of whether you have Rabiot or Coman on the left, depending on sort of how defensive you want to go, or how sort of not defensive but secure, considering as we did see from Portugal, they're pretty good on on the break. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I, I feel like I agree that I think Giroud should have. If he was going to start a match, it should have been the hungry match. Yeah. But also, when you make the statement of bringing Benzema back, I don't think even if it's you know you can debate the the sort of how you define the word drop, but I don't think you can sort of drop him second match of the group mm. stage, especially when he needs that goal and they need time to to sort of form an understanding. Yeah. Yeah. My concern is they're not forming an understanding because Mbappe isn't passing it and Griezmann is, is exiled to the wing. Mm. Yeah. What, what what about the idea of, of pushing Mbappe wider? I mean, you know, we've we've seen it in the past with Henri uh, used to oh, do it for us. You know, it's starting it's, central and let him drift wide. Years wide. That's, that's what they've mean? been doing for most of the last yeah. two years. And, mm. um, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I, d- I don't think... The problem is, I don't think Mbappe is a central striker. No, um, I don't either. So the, don't. Prob- the problem is not what I think. I don't think Mbappe is a central striker. The problem is Mbappe thinks he is. Mm. I think I think he's got, I think he's got all the all the um, all the attributes to be a central striker, but I don't think he's got the discipline to be a central striker. No, I, I don't think it's that. I think he's got more skill as a wide striker. We've mm. seen what he's done to fullbacks so far what he if he's playing on the left of a front three that is so much more efficient and so much mm. more penetrative than playing him as the guy in the center i don't Still mind him on the goals. right either i mean in the world cup he did most of his damage from the right that's fine mm. i just think he's better attacking space and cutting in from mm. either way when he, where he's got more time, more more space, more of a sort of elan, more of a run up to to kind of destroy people. If you're in the middle playing in smaller spaces, then that that's taking away. Yeah, I mean yeah, he's he's got really fast, you know, acceleration, but you you do need something of a run up. And on the wings, that's what he gets. And he is scaring the shit out of people he's running at every single time. And everybody's saying that. The thing is, as well, is if if you play him, and again, like like you, you both touched on, I don't think it's it's us that needs to convince him. It's his day job, of course. But I feel like he he's his re- his reputation precedes him in the fact that even if you lined up with Mbappe at left back, you know, as nuts as that sounds. Any coach defending against him is going to panic seeing his name on the team sheet full stop. It doesn't matter whether he's in form, out of form, left back, you know, anywhere but in goal, you're still going to you're still going to double mark him. So I almost feel like, you know, his reputation is, is that, that he's going to get double marked. And I feel like it might even be a bit of a tactical masterstroke if you actually go, do you know what, we're not going to play him where you expect us to play him. And we are going to free up because, you know, I, I think Griezmann's brilliant and I think, you know, Benzema on his day is brilliant, but they don't carry the sort of visual threat in terms of the pace that every defender hates. So if you did shuffle it around a bit, you know, you might you might well get some joy, 
you know, just doing that, changing it up. He's he's facing up against Pepe and Ruben Diaz. Well, even I would, I would run him. One of the most violent players in world football. Well, yeah, but you, you, you take the Premier League. I mean, that's you take the hit and you get him sent off. For me, it's not even those two. Get him running at Nelson Semedo, who yeah, which means absolute charlatan of a fullback. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but I think I think you you can start him in the what I call the, the Sky Sports formation where they put everybody into a you know you can stick him on the team sheet as the central striker. But you if your tactics in game are whenever you get opportunity, pull wide and have a go at Semedo, I think they'll get loads of joy. And Germany showed that you can get much both. What they've Portugal's been doing forward. already with this whole alleged diamond situation. You look at the past maps that between the posts have been putting out every time. He is so much further forward. Mm. So much further forward yeah. than the rest of the Vibes crew. And yeah. so do you want to actually say he's the centre forward and then knock out the possibility of having somebody else up there? I I don't know. Mm. I, I I feel like no matter what um, no matter what tactics or style of play France go with, I, I I feel like they've got enough to win this game, but you know the Hungary game, if nothing else, shows us that you, you know, you just can't take anything for granted. Which again, yeah, it's a cliche, but it is true. You you just you cannot rock up to any ground at any particular time and just expect to win games because it just doesn't work like that. Um, the other thing that we should probably mention in this game is, like we said, Hungary had home advantage, so France technically were the away side. It was the same. For the Germany game, this game is also in Budapest, but obviously there's no uh, sort of home advantage for either side here, which, you know, it's a small advantage, but particularly in Hungary's case, I felt like the crowd gave them that extra spring in their step, especially when they were, you know, literally, I mean, at one point I felt like that, that lady whose table got smashed up was going to come on and defend for them for 10 minutes because they were, you know, they were hanging on for dear life at one point. So I think it's fair to say that, if France impose themselves on, on Portugal, they will get chances. The key thing is, unlike this Hungary game, they need to take those chances. And especially if they can get an early goal, I, I, I just think this Portugal side are there for the taking. And if there's an opportunity to knock them out of this stage, then uh, France has got to be looking to do that. Because you just know that Portugal will go deep in this tournament if they get through the group, just because of the way they um, they set up. So I, uh, I guess we'll see. Um, I guess we will see. Just before we sort of uh, got two other bits of, of uh, two other subjects we wanted to cover before we end this week's pod, but just wanted to ask you, just sort of away from France, do any other nations scare you? I'm hearing a lot about Italy. Italy. Who, yeah, but they've played literally a bunch of kids from Lithuania and my Sunday no, league team. No, no, I mean, these the clean sheets way, are great, but they okay, haven't been tested but yet. the way they've played them. That's, that's what worries me. I like their energy, but I I need to see them against somebody properly good before I'm, I'm on the Italy train. Uh, Netherlands, I believe, are two up at the moment. Time for recording against Macedonia, going through three straight wins. Don't scare me. I mean, Depay's been playing brilliantly, now, which we now know. That track bully the doubles, so you can tell he's a PSG player. Oh, is he fantastic? <laughs> um, for me, they they still are very dodgy in defence, and they've got a, an absolute nightmare of a manager. Belgium is probably the one I'm looking at and saying mm, there's enough there for me to be slightly concerned. Uh, England, I'm joking. Um, hmm. 
Anybody else? I mean, to be honest with you. Rather oh. than watch Portugal Germany the other day, I watched our Yorkshire Farm. And this is probably the least football I've watched in a major tournament since 1988. <laughs> I've, the only two matches I've watched start to finish with the France matches. Do you know, we, just, weirdly, I've actually slightly had enough of football. I don't, no, I don't think, I don't think it's, I don't think you're, you're alone in that. For me, it, even having some crowds back, do, do, I'll tell you what, a bit of a sidebar, but do you know what's really put me off this tournament? This multiple cities thing. I hate it. Yeah, there's part of that. It just kills it. Like part of the tournament is having, you know, loads of, and I appreciate COVID, et cetera, and so on. But this was in place before everything happened. The whole thing I love about World Cup in particular. Another reason to have it in one place. In one place. Yeah, exactly. That's too much, too much like common sense. The thing I love about particularly World Cups, because you get them in obscure nations, you know, obscure times and whatever. Um, But I love the fact that you get fans from countries and taking their style all over the all over the globe, and then all rocking up and mixing into the culture of that country. And for me, you know, it's not Hungary's fault that they were the home team, but that's a significant advantage. That that isn't for me. You saw Spain playing at home in Sevilla, albeit because they couldn't play at um, Bilbao, and that pitch looked like a ploughed field. I mean, and they've got what an athletics track around the around the stadium. I nah. I just I feel like the it's the old man in me coming out. But, you know, you look back at some of the tournaments like was it Mexico is 86, I want to say. Um, yeah. I was only three, so I can't remember that far back. USA 94. Oh, is That's the thing. Yeah, a couple used to be about the great thing about tournaments used to be the novelty of having a football match on every day and the novelty yeah. of seeing players you don't know. You don't see the rest of the time. Yeah. But now because because so many of the players are well known anyway, but also, and especially over the last year, because there has been football on literally every day. All the time, feels yeah. like. I've been rationing myself. Yeah. I've, I've been trying, I've been planning which games to watch rather than watching all of them. Mm. I feel yeah. that has helped with my engagement. <clears throat> The key is as well, pick out the fixtures that sound like they're going to be terrible. I watched Switzerland, Turkey last night and I was thoroughly entertained. I was started with Wales, Italy and four minutes in I went, nah. So I switched over and, and it was a great game. <laughs> so I think there was, was it the Macedonia game with Austria? I think it was quite good. You know, any, any of the unfancy games. <laughs> um, I, have, I have also sat through both Sweden games because uh, aside from France, Sweden are my next um, European love. Um they're not easy on the eye, but uh, Alexander Isak is a pleasure to watch. So, you know, small wins where you can get them, I guess, is the other way of looking at it. But, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you all. And, uh, you know, if, if France lift the trophy, I'm sure I'll be as happy as everybody else is who, who follows Le Bleu. But, um, Maybe yeah. when you get some knockout stages, I'll get more interested. I just Well, that's and that's the other jeopardy, isn't it? This third place... Well, you know, yes, third that's place the going lack of jeopardy, and, in a sense, that yeah. all of these... The, place people can go through and it's all extremely confusing for those of us with wall charts yeah just make it 32 teams and be done with it we know that's what they want to do gary lineker more jermaine jenas 
more Danny Murphy. I don't need to see any of them anymore either. Oh, I, I see Jonathan Pierce has been doing some of our games as well, Jez. I've been delighted to. Uh, he, I've been he... watching them. I've been watching the France matches and French. Oh, oh, good, good, good call because he basically spent the entire first half. I've been watching France. you guys bitch about Jonathan Pierce. Well, he, he spent the entire first half talking about England Scotland while France were playing, and I was just like, "Are you are you for real here?" Or mm. anyway, that's it. So that, there's our rant on the tournament. I'm with you, Jez, definitely, and and yeah, I am watching some games, but I'm I'm very much uh, watching games around my running schedule, which is my priority, rather than 10 years ago, it would have been very much the other way around. Uh, maybe I'm just getting old, who knows. Anyway, a uh, couple of other things we wanted to mention. Um, Phil, you wanted to just have a, a brief rant about the captain's unbound situation oh. with Neuer. It's, it's, a, it's a wider football discussion, isn't it, really? Sit down, everybody. Uh, so, um, Manuel Neuer has been wearing a rainbow armband, as he is the captain of Germany, and UEFA said they were going to investigate this because it was possible. Um, everybody went batshit, mostly, I think, because UEFA have spent the past two years saying, isn't it lovely that football is for everyone? Um and have now finished their investigation and said that actually it's all fine. But it's like if everybody hadn't responded saying, the fuck are you talking about? Maybe this wouldn't have happened. It was a massive PR fuck up in a series of, I'm sure, a long and jeweled history of UEFA PR fuck-ups, but this was a really, really bad one. I mean, he's wearing a rainbow armband. It's not... I, I don't know. Anyway, so this situation seems to have gone away, but it should never have come up in the first place, is my view. So... However, it's panned out. Well done to Germany. Well done to Manuel Neuer. Well done to the DFB for basically saying fuck off to UEFA. And no points to UEFA for this just shot in the foot, I think, is, is the main thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very strange, you know. And this is the same tournament that we've, you know, witnessed uh, a live football player be brought back to life on a football pitch, and we're saying we can't move a game forty-eight hours. Meanwhile, UEFA are talking about colours of armbands. It does seem like a very strange political tournament. But let's not forget, UEFA are are men and women of the people. It's you know, the football comes first, and all that bollocks. Hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. Um, anyway, one other thing that we are going to mention, a um, little bit, a uh, little bit more sort of niche, but certainly very, very sad news, which came out on on Sunday. And um, Jez, I'm going to come to you first on this one. Um, the sad passing of uh, someone known as Philippe, but most people know him as Philu Sports on on uh, on Twitter. Very, very well liked individual, hugely knowledgeable. Um, just your thoughts, really, and, and and for those who don't have any sort of knowledge of, of the work he did, and indeed his story, uh, do you want to just give our listeners a bit of um, a bit of a sort of take on how you felt about this about the sad passing of, of one of the good guys of French football media in general? Yeah, not just French football. I mean, you know, 
Twitter obviously gets gets a lot of a bad rap and deserves it a lot of the time. But there are some, you know, very nice stories that have come out of Twitter and it's been, um, you know, very good me means of communication and connection for a lot of people. And and I think Philu Spore is, is sort of one of the examples of, of kind of Twitter at its best. This is a, a guy who um, had a sort of muscular degenerative disease. So he was... Um, he'd been confined to a to a wheelchair since he was nine. Um, had a had had a tracheotomy and was and I might come back to it, but was kind of too too shy or embarrassed to to kind of ever speak to anyone in public. And he basically made a name for himself on on Twitter by sort of he was a big football fan, big Marseille fan, a big sport fan. He's very into rugby as well, and and sort of made made a name for himself on Twitter, um, creating gifts. And, and making sort of funny comments, never any comments during during sports events and sort of gained a reputation through that, but also just through his niceness, which is a really bland word and not doing mm. injustice. He was just very much a very good guy and someone who Fine. used Twitter as a force for good, sort of every morning saying hello to everyone, every evening wishing everyone good night. And in between just, you know, really positive, funny messages, whether about sport or in general, and obviously not necessarily consciously doing that, but I think importantly kind of being a voice for, you know what what anyone can do despite the the sort of limitations that they're they're handed by the vagaries or whatever of life and quite rightly just developed a, a huge reputation um there's been sort of a, a couple of online documentaries about him and sadly one of them only just came out and um practically the weekend and he he it was almost like he knew what was coming he actually died of a heart attack but on on friday or saturday he sent a message with just one sort of still from the documentary where he just talked about how, you know, what, what Twitter has given him is that it's taught him that his, his life has served for something and, and that he wants to be remembered as, as bringing meaning to other people's lives. And he wanted to thank people for that. And he just sent this still with just him saying, thank you. And obviously after what happened over the weekend, it just made it even more poignant than it already was. And you just looking, look at that outpouring of love for him from across the, the sort of French sports community, the number of, um, uh, professional football and rugby clubs that that have, have sent messages, players like Kylian Mbappe sending messages, um, you know, getting a, a full, really moving obituary in L'Equipe. Um, it just, it, from lots of journalists as well, who, who he supported sort of publicly, but also in private, um, just, I think, it's one of those things where everyone knew what a great guy he was, but actually things that have come out since since he passed away have only emphasised it even more. And it's just, it's a massive loss to, obviously to the Twitter community, because we'll no longer have his positive messages, but also just everything that he, he stood for. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very, very sad passing. Yeah, well, well said. And Phil, like from my perspective, I mean, I you know, I freely admit, I, I didn't sort of know a huge amount about him before I started following, and it was only really when I started to develop my my love for French football a few years back, and 
uh, and, and yeah. sort of was looking at accounts to follow. And, and even though I don't, I certainly don't speak uh, very good French GCSE at best, I should stress, but, you know, even just using the lazy Google Translate, every one of his tweets, you know, like Jez said, e even if he was sort of taking the mick or, you know, making a point which might be sort of either like pro Marseille or something that would be relevant to him or that he wanted to, to have a bit of a chuckle about, it was never, ever... Did it, could it have ever been taken as a as a as a slander no, at anyone or as, always as well as being funny and smart and interesting? He was kind. Mm. He was never unkind. And um, there's a there's a quote from him in the uh, documentary that Jeremy mentioned, which is he talks about his petite noirete, his little little fame. And his little fame meant I, on um, Saturday, had actually turned my computer off to watch the late game. And so I found out about his passing because Omar de Fonseca, who was commentating on the Spain-Poland game, mentioned him. Live TV and the guy commentating is talking about, and we've lost Fulu Sport and we miss him so much. And I was like, oh my God. But then the Be In Sport post-match show was a tribute. As Cher said, he's in L'Equipe. The French players who had got off the pitch a couple of hours before our paying tribute, he was a really important person because he was kind. And I think that was a, a very important part of his influence. Yeah, well, Can I just well, also add that um, he, a couple of years back when he needed a, a sort of, uh, I guess, a better or more functioning wheelchair, um, the the Twitter community got together to to um, sort of crowd one crowdfund one for him, yeah. and at the moment as well, there's a there's a, um, a sort of Twitter crowdfunding to make sure he gets a, a you know sort of a funeral that is kind of that he deserves basically, and so it's not again it's not only what he did on Twitter, but it's sort of you know getting the best out of other people as well. Mm, I think yeah. that that wheelchair um, cannot uh, fifteen thousand euros in a day. Yeah, that's nuts, isn't it? Which and, was all of his supporters supporting it. And it and it just goes to show that you know, and, and we'll probably end with this thought: is that you being kind is free, and and it, you know, I think we all have those days where we just feel a bit shit about life and you know stuff goes against us and christ i mean jez if you and i added up the amount of arguments we've had on twitter over the years we'd, we'd probably write a book but um you know i i think you and i have a similar outlook on it is that we always kind of try and see the best in people even when they maybe are uh, trying to get a rise out of us or such like and and it just goes to show that i don't think many people have talked about you know the fact that just the fact that the guy lived in in such an upbeat way with so many um so many things that would hold back a normal person you know and i say i say normal i don't mean that in a derogatory way but i mean so you know an able-bodied fit and healthy person 
will moan about things constantly and 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 this is a man who just went about his life enjoyed the good things and like you both said interacted with people on such a regular friendly kind basis and was so knowledgeable as well um and there's there's just lots of as just said so many lovely tributes um my particular favorite video is that of him and his cat sharing a moment yeah. i thought that that's absolutely adorable as a cat lover and um and his little panda tattoo on his on his hand as well fantastic stuff so yeah i think i think we all we all um you know as you can tell it's, it's quite upsetting and it, it's a real shame to lose one of the good guys um from the sport and from the world in general and and maybe wish him uh, Godspeed, and uh, and certainly he will not be forgotten anytime soon, if at all. So, God bless to him. Um, that will uh, do it for this week, then, on uh, our French Football Weekly. So, thank you very much for listening. Uh, in honour of Philou, let's hope uh, Le Blue can get the do- get the job done tomorrow, and uh, and hopefully dispatch Portugal in doing so. Uh, it would be really fun if if Hungary were to win as well, just because. Something about Portugal I just don't like. Sorry if you're Portuguese listening to this, but um, yeah, there's a couple of players in that team I'm just not a particular fan of, if I'm honest. So uh, hopefully France Ooh, can come good. Oh, well, no, Bruno Fernandes winds me up massively. Cheating little scumbag. Yeah. Anyway, um, before I go on another round, we will leave it there. I think the plan is to come this time next week because we have quickly frantically searching for schedule there is a rest uh, two days actually two rest days oh, in this um, competition on thursday and friday france are playing um, on wednesday there we go then so that means we've got thursday technically friday um we'll have to uh you know uh we'll have a board meeting look, look we'll at, have a board look meeting choice yes i i i'd be quite a fan of uh of um of coming back to uh to review when, in fact hang on let me dear listener before we let before we leave you let me just find out when the court of, when the uh, no, second seriously because it's so confusing chris we can't it is now well, i don't want to uh, get to the second stage first anyway <laughs> Yeah, true. Is it is it me or is there actually a week gap before eleventh? Oh no, sixth and the seventh. Okay, so we've we've got some time before any potential second oh, stage. Twenty eighth. Twenty eight. Why are my dates all that? I think. Just anyway, we'll be back soon <laughs> to cover the Portugal France game. This is why I'm not a professional. One way or the other, dear listener, between the end of the Portugal France game and. And potentially the next game, whomever France play, assuming they get through, touch wood, will be back. Right. I'm going to shut this off now before we drive all of our listeners away. Jez, thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you. (laughs) Phil, thank you very much for your time this evening as well. Thank you, Bethel. And listeners, thanks ever so much for sticking with us, uh, sticking with me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you'd have to laugh if you didn't you'd cry we'll, uh, we'll speak to you very soon enjoy your French football and all the best to Deschamps men